This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. A big win for Alberta's Premier. If you believe in fairness, common sense, and the sanctity of the Canadian Constitution, today is a great day. Alberta led the challenge of Canada's Impact Assessment Act, arguing that the controversial law was unconstitutional. Canada's highest court agreed. They ignored the provinces, they ignored the Senate, and they ignored the many partners who have opposed this unconstitutional law all along. Is the Online Streaming Act constitutional? Is the Online News Act constitutional? Both of those questions were raised during hearings on Bill C-11 and Bill C-18, but they've taken on a new urgency in light of a recent Supreme Court of Canada decision involving a government of Alberta challenge with federal environmental assessment legislation. With limits on federal powers back in the spotlight, just how vulnerable is the government's internet regulation approach? Philip Palmer is a former justice lawyer who appeared before the House of Commons Committee studying Bill C-11 and made the case that the law doesn't fall within the scope of federal powers. He joins me on the podcast to explain why and what it might mean for both the streaming and news laws. Philip, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad that uh, you've taken the time to join. Thanks. Thank you. You know, uh, a recent Supreme Court of Canada decision involving Alberta's challenge to environmental laws placed the issue of constitutional limits of the federal government in the spotlight. Now, before people are this listening to this podcast think that they've downloaded the wrong wrong podcast, uh, it's relevant because there are similar issues that have been raised in the context of Canada's digital policies, particularly Bill C-11. And you've really been one of the most people, most outspoken people on that particular issue. I want I want to take a closer look at your analysis, but first, maybe if you can just introduce yourself and, and your career in government and the role that you've had in crafting these kinds of laws. Okay, well, I joined the Department of Justice in 1981 um, as a lowly counsel uh, to the Department of Communications, and subsequently. Uh, through the 80s into the 90s, I was involved in the development of the Radio Communication Act, the Broadcasting Act of, I think it was 1992, it was uh, adopted, and the Telecommunications Act adopted in 1993. Um, and uh, in the course of that, I got a sort of um, spectrum of, of the use of federal powers in those domains. I did subsequent stints um, in uh, what was then Indian and Northern Affairs, uh, dealing with First Nations and Indigenous peoples, um, immigration and refugee law, competition law, and I ended my career reverting to telecommunications law and internet law as it was then developing and was um, uh, one of the authors of Canada's anti-spam legislation, um, which resorts, which relies on the federal um, trade and commerce power. Can you just, for those that are new to, the, <clears throat> new to this issue, explain some of the basic division of powers issues that exist under our constitution? Okay. So the primary um 
allocation of powers under the Constitution is set out in what is now known as the Constitution Act 1867, former British North America Act. And Section 91 and 92 is confers the basic powers on first Parliament and then secondly the provinces. So, for instance, among the enumerated powers assigned to the federal government are things like bankery, banking, inland and uh, coastal fisheries, currency, criminal law, trade and commerce powers. Section 92 enumerates the exclusive federal power, uh, provincial powers, um, powers over things like local works and undertakings, direct taxation, hospitals, education, municipalities. Um, indeed, the provinces probably have the bulk of the legislative power in Canada, given the importance uh, that has um, subsequently grown around social programs, health programs, Medicare, and other issues like that. Let's turn to Bill C-11 in that context. Now, now, now the online streaming act. I'm going to read back to you what you told the Heritage Committee uh, on this issue when you appeared, if that's okay, and then and ask Absolutely. you to stand on it, because I think you did a great job of sort of crystallizing it in a single paragraph. Here's what you had to say. The Bill C-11 lacks a foundation in Canadian constitutional law. Internet streaming services do not transmit to the public by radio waves, nor do they operate telecommunications facilities across provincial boundaries. They and their audiences are the clients of telecommunications common carriers, which are subject to federal jurisdiction or federal regulation. Netflix, for example, in this instance, is no more a federal undertaking than a law firm such as McCarthy Tetro or a chain store like Canadian Tire, both of which rely extensively on telecommunications services. Can you unpack what you had to to say before the committee? Because I think it does a really nice job of crystallizing why there there is or or ought to be a real question about the constitutionality of extending federal law into areas like streaming services. The federal jurisdiction over broadcasting is not one that is based upon some sort of super federal power over programming and content. It is very much a transmission-based, facilities-based concept. The Constitution Act sets, sets out an exception to the federal powers. And to go back a bit, broadcasting is not a subject matter that's within the Constitution Act. There's no reference to it. And so it was a matter of interpretation by the Privy Council and the Supreme Court of Canada to decide whether broadcasting fell within provincial or federal legislation. And the the radio reference decision is, is a, a bit of a smorgasbord because there are four or five rationales given for why the Privy Council ultimately decided in favor of federal jurisdiction. But the one that survives, there have been a number of others that have gone by the wayside over the years. The one that survives is uh, the carve-out from Section 
92, section 9210, which takes out of federal, uh, out of provincial legislative power, works and undertakings such as lines of steam or other ships, railways, canals, telegraphs, and other works and undertakings, important words, connecting the province with any other or others of the provinces or extending beyond the limits of the province. And the fundamental concept is that if in order to fall within the narrow class of undertakings that are subject to federal jurisdiction, you have to actually be making some kind of a physical connection between the provinces. You're running steamships, you're transmitting telegraphs, and the analogy particularly between telegraphs and radio telegraphy of the time to radio broadcasting is what determined the um, jurisdictional competence of the federal government. So it was not that the content was the important thing. It's not the programming that's the important thing. It is the transmitting, the control of the signals that go beyond provincial boundaries. So the radio communication aspect of it, the fact that it cannot be contained within the box of a province was determinative. Um, and that is a foundational case for uh, everything to do with broadcasting and telecommunication subsequently. Um, and um, so I think in, in terms of expanding on that, the primary thing to always look to is the basic physical facts and legal facts that surround the um, arrangements by which signals cross borders. And the simple fact is that Netflix, for instance, does not have contracts to transmit over boundaries. All they do is transmit into the telecommunications networks, and then it's up to Bell, Rogers, TELUS, Videotron, and any of the other smaller and larger players to send those along telecommunications paths that have been subject to arrangements made between the telecom carriers to deliver those signals to their ultimate destination amongst uh, consumers. Okay, so so your your read of of where the Constitution Act is at then is that the way it applies to telecommunications and broadcasting is that it applies to those carriers, the ones that are doing the transmitting, but it doesn't apply specifically from the to the content, the people supplying the content onto those pipes, so to speak, in the way people sometimes think of this. That's that's exactly it. Um in discussing it in the context of the internet, basically it's the distinction between the applications layers of the internet and the telecommunications transport layers of the internet. 
So everything that's taking place at the level that consumers don't see is basically under federal jurisdiction. But at the level at which they actually are watching a program or ordering um, something on Amazon is not under federal jurisdiction. Okay, interesting. I mean, as, as part of the discussion when you appeared before the committee, and this is sort of, I think, consistent with what you're saying, you, you noted that, I'll quote again, the, the mere fact that some internet services compete with traditional broadcasters is not a justification to extend federal regulation over internet services. And I have to say, it feels like that is precisely the basis upon which we have an online streaming act. You know, the the government's <clears throat> position would appear to be that a service like a Netflix, and particularly it's the large streamers that they say they're they're indistinguishable in the in the modern era from some of the large broadcasters. And so we ought to be regulating them in the same way, which is why they've created a whole new class of undertaking, these online undertakings that they say are basically the equivalent. You're arguing that, well, no, that in fact, the powers that the federal government has have have sufficient limits that it does not extend into this new kind of service. Yeah, the we have this thing where uh, one ignores sort of at one's peril the history of the evolution of what what one might call content services. I mean, newspapers sort of eliminated broadsheets. Um, radio came to compete with newspapers. Television competes with radio and television. Uh, the television competes with cinemas. That doesn't mean that because cinemas and television compete that the federal government can regulate movie theaters. Nobody's made the argument that they could. So the mere fact of one technology permitting um, the creation of competition with with existing uh, content providers does not in itself signal any uh, constitutional authority to intervene in that marketplace. Now, not everyone agrees necessarily with with the analysis. I recall, for example, Anthony Housefather, a liberal MP, um, specifically indicated that he, he he wasn't on side. He said he disagreed with your interpretation. Asked you to cite some relevant cases uh, at the risk of you know getting deep <laughs> into some of these cases. You know, you know what what do you see coming to the play that that you think is determinative for the kind of for your analysis here? Very interesting in in terms of the um, actual uh, analogous situations are the freight forwarders cases, and most recently the fast freight decision that was decided uh, in the Supreme Court of Canada. And what these cases do is they they talk about the relationship between people who are shipping goods by means of federally regulated carriers for delivery to their customers at the other end of the railway lines or at the end of the case of fast freight 
at the end of uh, uh, air cargo uh, distributors. And in those series of cases, the Supreme Court of Canada recognized the fundamental difference between the people who pack the content, in this case, physical goods, into the holds of, of aircraft or the holds or the uh, containers on on uh, on rail cars uh, from the actual carriage by rail or by air, and there was no question in their minds that the people who pack those holds or pack those rail cars with goods are not subject to federal regulation, whereas the railways and the air carriers are. And that uh, remains fundamental. And I think they're the best analogies by which to think of this, because in Netflix is sort of packing content onto an interprovincial carrier that's picked up by me, the consumer, at, you know, in my computer or computerized television, as it happens these days. Um, and so there's this tremendous distinction that has to be made between content and its carriage. And it's the carriage that is the that falls within federal jurisdiction, not content regulation. The handle that the federal government has always had in terms of getting into the content on broadcasting is because content and carriage were married in broadcasting. The internet separates content and carriage. That's the fundamental distinction and the one that sort of seems to have escaped the federal government in crafting this legislation as well as C-18. Okay, I want to come to C-18 in just a sec. Uh, yeah. But before we do that, and I, I think you've kind of you know, it's come together with, with that key point about uh, either the, the marriage of, of content and carriage and how the internet separates that. The question is, and you raised it as well at the at the committee is well who's going to challenge who's going to raise this as a case who's going to challenge federal jurisdiction over broadcasting Do you have any any thoughts on, on how this might play out you know as we record this um we are near to the the beginning of what will be several weeks of crtc hearings on the first aspect of the online streaming act of bill c11 there will be further hearings into 2024 it's a pretty long process we've got some groups talking about benefits up to a billion dollars a year. Uh, so there's big money at stake. Uh, who do you see or do you see someone stepping up and saying, um, we're going to we're going to either challenge certainly with some of the things the CRTC might decide, but even more challenge the fundamental constitutionality of, of the government's attempt to regulate in this space? It's interesting. I mean, I, <clears throat> I've always hoped that Netflix or YouTube or, you know, some party that's got skin in the game uh, would in fact take up this challenge. I mean, it's got to realize though, from a business perspective, these guys have got to live, they've got to eat, 
they can make a decision to play in Canada within, uh, you know, our sandbox, or indeed, they can leave and say, if Canadians want to reach us, they can get VPNs and cross the border and watch Netflix from our servers in the United States. Um, it's interesting, though, uh, because the Quebec government is suddenly emerging as the dark horse here. You'll recall that in the earlier iteration of what was then C-10 and then C-11, the Quebec government was initially very much on side and indeed passed resolutions, you know, asking the federal government to move quickly, et cetera, et cetera. And then in May of this year, there was suddenly a all-party resolution, unanimous resolution of the National Assembly that called on the federal government to not overstep its jurisdiction. And then this fall, the Quebec government has announced that it is going to pursue regulatory, regulatory authority over streaming services. That puts the cat amongst the pigeons. Uh, we haven't yet seen the Quebec legislation, but I would assume that it will cover some of the same areas as the federal jurisdiction, uh, federal legislation. And that sets us up for a Donnybrook between the federal government and provincial government uh, as to who has the actual legislative competence. And that is, is now, I think, the most likely way that this is going to get to the Supreme Court of Canada. That's interesting. I mean, certainly as things proceeded during the the hearings, both at the House and the Senate on C-11, much of the focus was on, would one of the large internet streaming services challenge it? Um, you're hypothesizing, and I think accurately given some of the some of the signals we've seen coming out of Quebec, that this might turn into sort of the classic battle between the federal government and Quebec. And we've seen this movie before, so to speak, around communications policy, just may seeing it revisited in, in, in a new way now with, with the internet. You know, Turning to Bill C-18, you mentioned that uh, C-18, uh, the Online News Act, might get uh, scoped up in here as well. Um, you co-authored a piece together with Conrad von Finkenstein that raised some concerns with that law as well. What do you see as, as some of the constitutional issues that arise within the context of the Online News Act? It's hard to find where the federal government thinks it derives its jurisdiction. And it's unfortunate that the Department of Justice, uh, the federal government, but prompted by the Department of Justice, does not publish its constitutional opinions. Uh, I notice that the United States government, Department of Justice, does publish its constitutional opinions. Um, and that's good because it gives people the ability to actually think about, critique, analyze, understand the trade-offs that are being made in any given piece of legislation. Um, but one thing about the drafting of the legislation um, is very telling, which is that the very core definition, which is that of a digital news intermediary, is that it is one that is subject to the legislative authority of parliament. So it, in its own definition, it 
questions whether some digital news intermediaries may be in and some may be out. Um, and it doesn't say anything that helps one make any decision as to who's in or who's out, apart from this trumped-up market test that they uh, that they propose. Um, and the reality is that there is no reason to think that just because um, Google's a big company and operates internationally, and similarly with Facebook, Meta, um, that there's any reason to think that the federal government has any particular legislative authority over them. I mean, we don't have an authority over international companies. Walmart Canada is not subject to the legislative authority of parliament, other than in the criminal law or, you know, something like that. But they're subject to provincial jurisdiction within the provinces in which they operate. Um, the newspapers themselves are not subject to federal jurisdiction. So what makes us think that you can sever out the digital news intermediaries from the underlying requirement that in order to be captured by the federal government, you have to be an interprovincial undertaking within the meaning of the exception in section 9210 of the Constitution Act. And this is, uh, I think, the, the question that nobody's actually addressed. There's simply been the assumption that because these guys are big and international and sweaty and sticky, um, the feds have jurisdiction over them. And that's not the way the federal jurisdiction works in this country. We don't have jurisdiction over securities. And securities is, you know, in this day and age, totally international. Billions of dollars move every instant across international boundaries without the federal government regulating who buys and who sells securities or on what terms. Um, so I, I just don't see where the federal government believes it derives its jurisdiction in this matter interesting i mean to to wrap the this discussion similar question is as i close the c11 discussion with uh, do you see a prospect for challenging this piece of legislation at the moment it appears that we already know that meta is basically going to comply with the law by removing links to news there this was exactly what they've done now for the last few months uh, it seems as if that's there's a possibility google might do the same um, you know, if if nobody is subject to the law, uh, do we see a challenge? Even if Google does find a way to to have a deal, do they or does someone else decide that this is a law worth challenging, or is it one of those that kind of just sits on the books, even though it might well be vulnerable? Where is the challenge going to come from? Google could. I don't think it's particularly in their interest to do so. I think it's more likely that. They're going to look at what finally comes out of this regulatory process and sort of say either we can, we'll make do with this somehow or other or not, in which case they'll follow Meta out of the market. And then there'll be nobody left 
with an interest in in uh, challenging it again except for either a public interest group where do they get the standing uh or possibly you know some combination of the the little guys who are the people who are most dramatically affected by c18 so you know all the small online news undertakings who suddenly uh, may be deprived of the links that draw traffic to their sites. They're the people that are going to be most impacted by this legislation. The big players also, I mean, the uh, post media, et cetera, are going to take a real beating if, if uh, Google withdraws from the market. Post media and their kin have sort of already thrown in the towel and said, please, federal government, give Google what it wants by way of regulations. Canadian broadcasters have taken an opposite position on this, and so we have to wait until we see what the federal government does actually bring in by the way of uh, final regulations. Uh, they haven't got a lot of time. Uh, we're six weeks away from, from when this act comes in force. Um, and we don't know either where Google stands or where the federal government stands. And that's pretty late in the game for these kind of questions to be still out in the air. I think you've highlighted with, with the analysis that, that you brought before committee, um, but the government didn't seem to be all that interested. But as, as these things progress, it certainly seems like, especially in light of uh, the recent Supreme Court of Canada decision, that limits on federal powers is, is back in vogue perhaps again. And so too might the prospect of of challenges of uh, either either or both of C11 and C18. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Philip, thanks uh, thanks for the work that you've been doing and thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast and uh, break it all down. Thank you, Michael, for this opportunity. It's been great. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at LawBitesPod or Michael Geist at MGeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The LawBites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening.